One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Europe is being battered by a fourth wave of COVID. If we stay on this trajectory, we could see. Another half a million COVID-19 deaths in Europe and Central Asia by the 1st of February next year. In Germany, infection rates are now higher than at any other point in the pandemic, whilst vaccination rates are amongst the lowest in Europe. COVID cases in Germany have jumped by a third in just a week. COVID cases hit another record high in Germany. 65,000 new cases recorded in the last 24 hours, part of what Chancellor Angela Merkel calls a dreaded fourth wave. While the fourth wave has forced Austria to lock down again and to make vaccinations compulsory, the German health minister has a stark warning for his country. Probably by the end of winter, almost everyone in Germany, it might be cynical to say, will be either vaccinated, cured or dead. Why are the Germanic parts of Europe becoming the epicentre for both the fourth wave of the virus and the riots that are now sweeping across the continent? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today... The fourth wave. What's behind Europe's COVID riots? My name's Oliver Moody. I'm the Berlin correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times. Oliver, in the last few days, we've started seeing a lot of headlines about protests, some of which are getting slightly out of hand across Europe about COVID. Paint a picture for us of what's been going on. Really, it started on Saturday. The fourth wave swept across a pretty broad stripe of northern and central and eastern Europe. So the countries with very high vaccination rates in the very west and south places like Italy and France, they're still okay. But you've got all these countries from Belgium and the Netherlands in the northwest, through Germany and Austria, down into Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, the Czech Republic, that are at or close to record levels of infections despite their vaccination campaigns. And so governments all over have been introducing various restrictions to try and get a grip on the fourth wave. In some of those countries, the restrictions are extremely unpopular, at least with certain sections of society. And so the first big sign that something was amiss was when the Austrian government announced that it was imposing a blanket lockdown on the country, vaccinated and unvaccinated alike, for three weeks. Protesters took to the streets of the capital, Vienna, today to show their opposition to the new measures and plans to make vaccination compulsory. And um, between 35,000 and 40,000 people marched through the streets of Vienna. It was mostly peaceful, but towards the end, things began to fray a bit and got pretty tetchy. Some of the protesters were flinging bottles and beer cans and fireworks at the police, and the police was responding with pepper spray. Then you got rather more serious violence 
in the Netherlands, initially in Rotterdam and The Hague. And then that was followed by looting and vandalism in Groningen and a couple of other cities. And we've also seen fairly sizable protests in Lausanne and Zurich in Switzerland and in Copenhagen in Denmark. The protests seem to be travelling like an infectious wave, almost as bad as the pandemic itself. Are they being inspired by each other? Well, the first thing to say is these protests aren't a new thing. If you cast your mind back to August last year, the German anti-lockdown movement was in absolute full flow. There was a big march through central Berlin. They were meeting on a weekly basis, tens of thousands of people in the German capital by that point. And a group of right-wing extremists mounted a planned attack on the Bundestag building, or the Reichstag building as it's known. They tried to storm their way in, and it was a thin blue line of German police that was just about the only thing holding them out. In fact, wow. some MPs from the right-wing populist Alternative for Germany party actually managed to smuggle anti-vaccine and anti-lockdown protesters into the parliament building where they started haranguing MPs. Far-right extremists pushed through police lines to the top of the Reichstag steps. Widerstand, they shout, resistance. So these things have been going on across Europe periodically for a while. I think the reason why they've taken on so much resonance now is because so much of the populations have been vaccinated and you have a, such a strong dividing line between the people who feel that they've done the right thing, they've done their bit for society, and the people who feel that they are being treated like criminals because they don't want to get vaccinated. And Oliver, do we know who is doing the protesting? I mean, for example, in Vienna, you know, as you said, the protests broke out when the government announced a nationwide lockdown. But before that, they had mooted the idea of only locking down people who weren't vaccinated, which probably wasn't very practical. But was it those people, the anti-vax people, effectively, or was it the people who thought we've been vaccinated, we're double-vaxxed, and now we're, we're being covered by this blanket ban on people? The protesters are very heterogeneous and vary a lot from one country to another. And the causes, the things that they're protesting against are also very different. So in the Netherlands, for example, it's primarily young men objecting to bars and restaurants having to close at eight o'clock. In Brussels, where there was um, another very large demonstration on Sunday that briefly turned violent with people throwing stones, that was motivated by things like a face mask requirement indoors that had just been brought back. And in Austria, it's this whole cocktail of people who just don't like the state intervening in people's lives through lockdowns, all the way through to anti-vaxxers. And then you have all of these esoteric and unsavoury political movements that try to hijack it for their own ends, including neo-Nazis and other right-wing extremist groups. The black, white and red are the colours of the old imperial German Reich. In front of the Reichstag, it makes for shocking symbolism. And that's interesting. I mean, talk to us about how the neo-Nazis and, and the extreme right seem to have sort of taken this up as, as one of their causes. Well, it fits the bill on every level. They've been arguing, in Austria and Germany anyway, for years that they are the victims of liberal dictatorship. And then along comes a government that imposes what would, before the pandemic, have been regarded as absolutely intolerably authoritarian measures. 
And finally, they've got what they see as a, a legitimate grievance. And so they've been trying to exploit the much broader well of resentment against lockdowns and various vaccine mandates to try and further their cause. I and mean, you've seen neo-Nazi and, in fact, actual Nazi symbols on display at a lot of these rallies in, in Germany and in uh, Vienna on Saturday. And you've seen also in both Austria and Germany some of the protesters donning yellow stars to liken themselves to the Jewish victims of the Holocaust. Yellow stars? In, in, in what possible way do they, do they see themselves as, as the victims of something equivalent to the Holocaust? Well, there, there are two strands there. And one is, I think, a very intellectually lazy analogy based on the idea that they are being persecuted because of their identity. And their identity is people who don't want to get vaccinated and don't want to abide by lockdown restrictions. And then you have a wilder strand of conspiracy theory on the far right in Austria and Germany that believes this is part of a international government conspiracy to um, commit genocide against the population. Wow. It's, it's sort of like a Germanic version of QAnon, you could call it. And when you say genocide, well, what, I mean, do they believe that the vaccinations will eventually kill everyone? I mean, there are all kinds of different theories in this particular milieu. The original one, and the most prevalent, was that COVID-19 had been engineered as a bioweapon to try and subjugate the population. And then there have been also various other arguments that listeners will be very familiar with from Britain and the US, that the vaccines themselves are some form of population control. That's remarkable. Oliver, I want to come back to some of the conspiracy theories, but also some of the reasons why people believe this on the continent. But before we do, this is all happening against a backdrop, as you know, as you pointed out, of a real spike in infection rates across Europe. Talk us through that. What's happened? Why is it so bad now? Well, the central reason is a lot of these countries have relatively high proportions of people who haven't been vaccinated. In Germany, it's 32% of the population. In Austria, it's 34 or 35%. In some of the countries in southeastern Europe, it's astonishingly low. Um, so Slovakia, for example, has a vaccination rate that is below the global average. It's something like 44% of the population that's been fully vaccinated. Wow. And because it's getting colder and people are spending more time indoors and the virus naturally finds chillier conditions more favourable for transmission you would expect to see a rise in infection rates anyway during the sort of later stages of the autumn going into the winter. And that is coinciding with the point where most of the vaccinated people are now more or less five or six months after their second vaccination. And there's pretty good scientific evidence that your protection against infection begins to drop off from maybe 90% to about 70%. So very, very few of the vaccinated people are getting seriously ill but in growing numbers, they are getting COVID and transmitting it, even if they don't realise it. And at the same time, I mean, are, are there still measures like mask wearing across many of these countries? Well, if we take Germany as an example. Mm. Are you still wearing masks? Yes, we, we, we never stopped. Ah. After the um, third lockdown, they just left a lot of the measures in place, um, including compulsory mask wearing in shops and when you're moving around in restaurants and bars or when you're on public transport, that's never really gone away. And also Germany's had a sort of vaccine passport system right from the start. And there was never really that much opposition to it. So we've had a number of fail-safe measures in place throughout the summer and into the autumn. 
So you've had vaccine passports, which should already separate the vaccinated from those who aren't. And yet you've still got a huge spike. That's correct. Part of that, I think, is to do with the way that you can get into indoor public spaces. So you can either flash your vaccination certificate or a certificate showing you had a COVID infection in the last six months and you've got over it. Or up until quite recently, in the middle of October, you could just go to one of these thousands of free rapid antigen testing centres. I say centres. It's like most often restaurants that stop making money during the pandemic and they just converted themselves into kind of miniature testing facilities. There's one actually right opposite me now as I'm sitting and looking out of my window. And um, the government stopped funding those in an attempt to try and bring up the vaccination rate. And that had the um, perverse effect of just meaning that you missed a lot of asymptomatic COVID infections, which drastically increased transmission. So a government policy to encourage vaccinations backfired spectacularly and contributed to the current spike in infections in Germany. So what should governments in Europe do? Are mandatory vaccines the answer? And why are the German-speaking parts of Europe doing so much worse than the rest? We'll have more in just a moment. But first, here's a man who usually has all the answers. This is Tom Whipple, science editor for The Times. Thanks for listening. By doing so, you enable me to keep pace with the rapidly changing developments in the coronavirus pandemic and more. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one free month. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you've got a spike which you'd think would have alarmed people, and yet they're going out protesting. I mean, there's an interesting idea that's been mooted here by the journalist Dominic Lawson in the Daily Mail, in which he suggested that perhaps there's something distinctly Germanic about being quite anti-vax, that this has a long history. Is that something you recognise? I think there's a kernel of truth to it, but I think it needs to be unpacked and put in quite a lot of the polystyrene foam of context. Um, (laughs) Provide us with some of that. 
So let's go back to the start of the vaccination campaign in Europe, when there were a lot of surveys looking at what proportion of the different populations across the continent would be prepared to get vaccinated. And everyone back then was fretting about places like Italy, Spain, they were saying, you know, there's very strong kind of scepticism about these things. They're going to be the countries that we need to worry about, which was precisely wrong. We now know, and it's been one of these memes that's been doing the rounds on the internet, and it's true that German-speaking Switzerland, Austria and Germany, i.e. the three German-speaking bits of Europe, Mm. have the lowest vaccination rates in Western Europe. And why is that? Think about who these people are. Who are the unvaccinated? What do we know about them? So we know in Germany and Austria, we know where they are, which is primarily in the south of east of Germany. They're in what used to be communist East Germany, and they're in um, the kind of Alpine region. In Austria, they tend to be in, in rural areas, and particularly in the kind of centre and north of the country. We know how they vote. In Germany, 50% of people who haven't been vaccinated say they support the right-wing populist alternative for Germany party, which is five times the level in the wider population that support them. And another 15% support a startup party called Die Basis, which is a kind of populist outfit precisely founded to oppose lockdown restrictions. And the same is true in Austria. People who vote for the right-wing populist Freedom Party are far, far more likely to oppose vaccination than those who don't. So you have quite a geographically concentrated population with very low vaccination levels, very high susceptibility for populist politics. And then you can start to look for kind of deeper historical reasons for why that might be. One of which is, as Dominic Lawson argues, that there's just a lot of very esoteric theories that have been floating around in this part of the world for a very long time. So you could look at the Steiner movement, which believes in a kind of spiritual higher realm that people can access and it has a whole kind of scepticism of modern medicine built into it. You could look at um, homeopathy, which is very entrenched in Germany and a lot of, I think, Pharmacies are obliged by law to stock homeopathic remedies, and you very often get them prescribed by your GP, Really, for example. I mean, that's culturally yeah. so different. Yeah. Another thing that it's distinctive is there's a real kind of hostility, not just towards central government, but towards central authority, you know, people from the big cities coming and telling us what to do. And then the third thing I would link it to that I think has been really missing from this discussion is the much broader culture of risk aversion right up to the top. So the German government's scientific advisory committee on vaccines, STIKO, has consistently been among the most conservative. It dragged its heels on recommending the AstraZeneca vaccine for ages. It only got around to approving boosters for over 70s on October the 2nd. And literally just this week, it's finally said, actually, yeah, we think probably all adults ought to get vaccinated. And I think what's going on there is a tendency to look at a new thing and only to see the downside risks and not the upside risks and just to think about what could go wrong with it. And I think you can link that to the way that the populations are very hostile to things like nuclear power, genetic engineering, these kind of new technologies that we're very instinctively wary of. And all we want to think about is how they could mess up our lives rather than how they could make them better. So it is just massive cultural differences. And with the one you mentioned at the start, you know, the idea that it does have a greater role, an official role really, for homeopathic treatments, does that make them generally vaccine resistant? Not just COVID, but in general terms? It always has done up to a point. And the thing to stress here is that I don't think this is true of the majority of the German population. 
they are as accepting of modern evidence-based medicine as the British population is in general. But particularly in, in these geographical areas in the south and east of Germany we were talking about earlier, there is certainly a, a large minority that has always been very wary of vaccinations. So in 1874, three years after Germany was unified, there were riots in the south because the central government in Berlin made smallpox vaccination mandatory. So you had officials from this government coming round into people's houses and dragging their toddlers out and really? um, giving them, well, it wasn't vaccination, it was variolation back then. And you have had similar kind of opposition when the government made measles vaccination compulsory for kids in 2018. Freedom also means that I will not be unnecessarily put at risk. This law is a good law because it protects freedom and health. So there's a very, very long tradition of hostility in this particular part of the population. It's so interesting to think none of this is new. At the same time, looking back at the history, they have ended up having to make this stuff mandatory. That's one of the ideas that's being talked about at the moment, and I know that's partly triggered some of the anger. Is there a chance that vaccines will become mandatory in Europe? And how would that go down? So vaccines were first made mandatory within the EU by France for health workers. La vaccination sera rendue obligatoire sans attendre. Which was pretty controversial at the time. Over 100,000 people marched across France Saturday to protest against plans to force the vaccination of health workers. Now France has one of the best vaccination rates in the world. Greece followed suit and eventually Hungary also made vaccines compulsory for public sector employees. Austria is the first country to have gone that dramatic step further and said, all adults have to get vaccinated or we will fine you 3,600 euros. There's a debate going on in Germany now about whether to follow suit. A lot of medical experts and some of the state leaders support it. They regard it as being more fair and generally equitable than forcing health workers to get vaccinated. Because if you look like you're targeting the nurses and the doctors and the hospital porters, yeah. they're already leaving the system in large numbers. I mean, the hospital capacity has massively diminished over the past year in Germany. Yeah. You can have a real crisis on your hands. Whereas if you say it applies to the whole population, then they can't get away from it. So they have to stay in the healthcare system. And that's a substantial fine. 3,600 euros. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that would make you think twice. But there are also large doubts in the long run about A, whether this is compatible with the country's constitutions and B, what it does societally and politically. And it could lead to far greater unrest than we've, we've seen already. I mean, is it fundamentally changing the social contract, changing people's relationship with the state? I mean, the short answer to that is no, because <laughs> compulsory vaccination has always been a tool that some European governments have reached for. In fact, Britain's a bit of an anomaly by European standards in always having maintained that it's not something that they like doing. As we saw, Germany's got a long history of it. The reason I think why this is a bit different is the pandemic is so omnipresent. It's all people talk about. And so it's become that bit more politically freighted in a way that making parents vaccinate their kids for measles really isn't. So if it is as politically charged as that, if, if there are already protests and riots on the streets, what do 
these governments do in order to get the problem, this huge spike in COVID infection rates? How, how do they control it if they don't mandate vaccines? That is the million-dollar question. One of the problems that we've got in Germany is that we're in between governments. So Angela Merkel's still there as a caretaker chancellor. She's going to be replaced in early December by a centre-left leader called Olaf Scholz. And the new government, which has a sort of liberal party supporting it, hates the idea of lockdowns and has just passed a law to make them illegal. So the government's hands are really tied. It's got various tricks in the box. You can order unvaccinated people to stay in their houses, like the Austrians tried. You can exclude unvaccinated people from bars and restaurants and pubs, which is already happening across a lot of Germany. But beyond that, they're nearly out of ammo. And the booster campaign is so far behind. It's very hard to see what measures the German government is going to have left that could really halt this fourth wave in its tracks. And how are their health systems coping in the meantime? The German state of Saxony, which is the worst hotspot here, it can safely maintain 1,300 intensive care beds. They've got 1,562 occupied, i.e. they're substantially over the limit. They're running on empty, really. In other bits of Germany, it's not quite as bad as that, and you can transfer people around the country up to a point. But we've already reached the point where Bavarian hospitals have started ironically flying um, patients back to Italy. So the reverse of what we saw during the first wave of COVID. And in fact, the region around Bergamo, which is synonymous with the really most harrowing scenes of the first wave, has made an open offer to Germany to send it COVID-19 patients this time. Wow. I mean, Oliver, we first talked to you about COVID at the start of the pandemic, where, you know, Germany was a few weeks ahead of us. It feels like we're sort of completely out of kilter in terms of COVID infection rates at the moment. Do you think, you know, if you're a betting man, do you think Europe will finally be in a post-COVID age next year? Do you, do you think this will sort of have calmed down? And if so, will mandatory vaccines have a part in that? Will COVID be gone next year in Europe? Absolutely not. The fourth wave, I think, is going to be a long one, at least here in Germany. It's not going to die out until you have, well, given the Delta variant, more than 90% of the population immune through one way or another, through vaccination or through getting infected. Germany, currently, it's about 73%. So there's another 20% of the population. There's another 18, 19 million people who need to get immunity somehow before COVID stops being a serious problem. Is that going to happen in the next few months? I really don't think it is. Is mandatory vaccination a plausible answer? We'll find out. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Oliver Moody, Berlin correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times. You can read all of Oliver's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If there's a story you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or if you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, perhaps you're in Germany, let us know what you think. Do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Thank you.